Welcome to Pet Will Radio, a unique show about amazing animals and inspirational people. With your host, author, animal advocate, and attorney, Peggy Hoyt. Hello and welcome. You are listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Pet Will Radio. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt, and it's my pleasure to be with you today. Each show, when we get together, we explore options and alternatives for creating a lasting legacy for your pet. During the show, if you have any questions or comments, you can chat with us live at mixlr.com forward slash petwill. We hope that you'll join us. I would like to welcome our special guest today, Morgan Silver, the Executive Director and Founder of the Horse Protection Association of Florida. Welcome, Morgan. I'm excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you are so welcome, and uh, we have a special connection, and I will share that with the listeners as we go along. But um, will you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and the Horse Protection Association of Florida? Certainly. I'm a native Floridian. I was born and raised in Miami, and I have worked in the horse industry most of my life. And Horse Protection Association of Florida, or HPAF, the acronym which we use, it's a 501c3 charitable organization. We provide the service of helping horses who are in situations of neglect, starvation, or abandonment. And we provide equine rescue and rehabilitation services education, and the adoption of rehabilitated horses within the state of Florida. And we also provide assistance to law enforcement and animal agencies with cruelty investigations involving horses. And we also teach horse care and humane natural methods of training for horses. Wow, that sounds like you have a very full plate every day. Definitely. So tell us a little bit about your horse background. Were you one of those people that was born loving horses? I was. In fact, I've been working on a book and looking at old pictures of myself, and my parents have a picture of me at one year on my one-year-old birthday, my first birthday, sitting on a pony in the backyard, and I had pretty good form for a one-year-old sitting up straight. I looked like I'd done it before, so it kind of felt that way. It's something that I was always drawn to, and... And the first time I rode side saddle, I knew how to do it, so that was kind of odd. So you must have been a horseback rider in another life. That's a very a strong possibility. It certainly seems that way. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that when I was born, I think I the very first words that I ever said were, I want a horse. Um <laughs> And and I just remember, you know, as a as a young child, just how enthralled I was with horses. And I was reminded about that yesterday when we were out riding and there was a little girl that was there at the park with her parents. And when she saw the horses, she was just squealing with joy. And she walked right over to us and she was not a bit afraid and wanted to pet them. And uh, one of the gals got off her horse and put her up on him. And she was just as pleased as she could possibly be. And I thought, you know, if that had been me and somebody had asked me, she was probably about five years old, if somebody had asked me if I wanted to ride their horse, I would have died a happy thousand deaths just thinking about that possibility. Definitely. I was happy just to get near one and pet it and be close to them. Mm-hmm. Th- those those were the good old days. My girlfriends and I, we would dress up in our riding habits and go to horse shows when we didn't even have a horse and we weren't showing, and we would walk around and pretend like we owned all of the horses that were there. I'd go so I see that you're... Yeah, well, we were we were just trying to take advantage, you know, and um, I see that you've uh, been a judge as well as an instructor with the International Side Saddle Organization. Yes, I haven't done any of that since starting Horse Protection, haven't had the time. That was in the, my previous incarnation. <laughs> well, that's interesting, though, because, you know, people don't really think about side saddle anymore, yet at one time that was the preferred method of riding for women, or maybe I should say the accepted method of riding. Correct. A woman would not have thought to ride astride in the pre-1920s, and being in side saddle, the coveted side saddles are the ones that came from 
the 1800s and then the early 1900s, and I was told that when it went out of fashion and women started riding astride, that the companies like Mayhew and Champion Wilton made huge piles of side saddles and burned them um, because no one wanted to buy them anymore. And now they're very rare and coveted, and it's hard to find them in excellent condition. So it went out of collector's fashion. items. They are yes. Wow, that's incredible. Um, my sister has a very old side saddle that she found somewhere at a uh, picker's convention or something. Mm-hmm. Well, well and then I see also, go ahead. It's mostly the English, the, the ones made in England from certain companies, Owen, Mayhew, Martin and Martin, Champion and Wilton. There's certain, there's really like the big four or five that are that are the collectible ones. Okay. So I guess if we have listeners who have old barns that they have access to maybe some older saddles, we should all keep our eyes open. Um, We could go on Antique Roadshow or something. Definitely. So I also see, Morgan, that you have a background in um, cruelty investigation training um, and have worked a lot with law enforcement in that regard. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. Correct. There uh, are... Just now it's down to two. There used to be three uh, training courses in the United States for people to learn equine cruelty investigations. And I attended uh, the 40-hour course in Virginia, and there used to be one in North Carolina, the University of North Carolina, that's no longer uh, being held. And then there is the University of Missouri School of Law Enforcement, which has three levels, and I took uh, one or two of those levels. And in, ni- in 2003, we began presenting trainings with horse protection here in Florida for law enforcement. We had our first in 2003, and then by 2006, we were I was providing trainings throughout the state at the district uh, offices of the Department of Agriculture for law enforcement with about 60 officers at each of the trainings. We did four of those, the different districts, before the Department of Agriculture ran out, ran out of money to continue to hold them, but we reached a lot of officers that way. And now I just provide trainings, either half day or a couple hours or whatever they want, to individual sheriff's offices around the state. And the level of knowledge and uh, know-how for the equine cruelty investigations is really, the bar has really been moved up over the over these years, in the last 10 years, because there wasn't really any enforcement um, prior to the 2000s, because there wasn't as much cruelty because there wasn't as much overbreeding of horses. Now that we had so much overbreeding and there's so many free and cheap horses that people are getting them that don't have the knowledge of either how to care for them or the expense that they're taking on in taking on that type of a horse, which in this area where we live uh, in Marion County, they tend to be thoroughbreds, which eat four or five times more than, than uh, your average Arabian or Pasifino or quarter horse does. So the problem of cruelty has really come to be in the past 10, 15 years um, more so than ever was before with people saying, oh, I'll get a horse and stick it in the backyard. So before that, there wasn't any knowledge on the part of law enforcement, but uh, a lot of counties have really um, stepped it up and have had me in to train their officers and had me in for retraining. And um, there's also the uh, agricultural officers uh, group that has an annual convention that I've taught a few times. And uh, some of the counties have agricultural patrols that specialize in the problem of uh, both equine and uh, livestock, mostly cattle, uh, issues. And uh, so that's something that we've been very fortunate to be able to provide for law enforcement around Florida. Yeah, that that's a terrific service. And and would you say then that cruelty when it comes to horses or livestock would generally be um, related to um, starvation type cases? Usually, yes. Um, starvation and lack of routine care, such as hoof care. One of the things. Oh, right. The, one of the big problems is even if horses rebound physically in their body when we take care of them after they come in, sometimes their hooves do not. Sometimes the, the neglect to their hooves is so extensive that the feet never grow back in a normal position, and we lose actually more horses to hoof problems than any other problems because once they gain back weight to be at a normal weight, they 
may not be able to support that healthy weight on those compromised hoof walls that have been growing in the wrong directions because they weren't trimmed or the horse didn't have the right the right care for such a long period of time. Well, and I remember you telling me one time that sometimes when you get horses that have been starved at a young age that, in fact, their bones don't always grow properly either after they start getting better nutrition. Correct. Um, if you have an adult horse that is then starved and you had a horse that was raised properly and got to adulthood and then starves, it's completely different than if you have a youngster who's in critical growth stage anywhere from birth to uh, three years old or almost four years old, they leach minerals and nutrients out of their own bones and out of their own, mostly out of the bone. And we know that even if horses are fed well and they don't get enough exercise as babies and have that concussion to build strong bones, uh, be like a person sitting in a chair and not getting any exercise, your bones aren't going to get the concussion they need to grow properly. But combine those two things of lack of nutrition and lack of exercise, which go together, then the animal is compromised, and we have a lot of young thoroughbreds that we got as weanlings or yearlings or two-year-olds that later on um, have had breaks, bone breaks, just from running around in the pasture uh, and breakdowns that are not that are not normal for a horse. It right, and then that makes them right. That would make them hard to then adopt, of course, because if somebody wanted a you know a horse they could ride, then that horse would not be suitable for that. And the thing is, you never know which ones that will be the case and which ones will be fine. It's, there's no right. way to foretell what their physical health is going to be like in the future. So it's kind of a way of a go forward and see what happens. But we've learned a lot over sure. the years. Now we know not to put those horses in disciplines like jumping or, or, or eventing, or, but they only go in disciplines that are for flat work and because they, can't, they can never take the strain of, of the concussion of landing over a jump on those, on those bones. So um, I want to remind our listeners that they can join us for a live chat on mixlr.com forward slash petwill. And um, you're listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Petwill Radio. We're talking today with Morgan Silver. She is the founder of the Horse Protection Association of Florida. And Morgan, um, how did you come up with the name Horse Protection Association of Florida? I remember when we were incorporating, and it was uh, early 1990, and I was sitting around thinking about it, and we were throwing out names, and uh, there used to be an organization called, uh, or actually I think it still exists, Horse Protection Association of, U- of the U.S. or Ameri- American Horse Protection Association, and I really did okay. for, some na- for some name association. Now, that organization really never did anything. I think they still exist, but they didn't go on. They were They're mostly a... Um, I don't know if they were legislative, but they really never did anything physical hands-on with horses, but more an advocacy group, I believe. Um, so that's where the name came from. If I had to do it in hindsight, I would make it Horse Protection Society or agency, because usually if we're portrayed in the media, that that's what we're called, whether uh, we like like it or not. <laughs> but, okay, uh, so they get the name mixed up. Correct, yeah. But since we've been this way for 26 years, uh, the name's going to stay the same. <laughs> So what happened on the day that you woke up and you said, you know, I think I'll create a not-for-profit organization to rescue horses. What were you thinking? Well, it was I was dragged kind of kicking and screaming. I didn't want to do it. In 1987, I was in Miami, and someone called me and said that a horse that I used to know who was a show pony, a hunter-jumper show pony, was at a, uh, a rent, horse rental place in Hialeah, and that he was starving, and I went there and saw him, and he was there, and I knew him when he was probably the top hunter pony in the United States, And but the other horses were in worse condition than him. They were in horrible condition, and I reported it to the um, Miami, Miami-Dade Metro uh, Sheriff's Department, and their officer who did such things called me back and told me they were fine. The horses were fine. There was no problem. And being a professional in the horse industry, I knew there was a big problem. Luckily, it was in the jurisdiction of Hialeah. Hialeah had just worked a cockfighting case with Sergeant Sherry Sluter, who was with the Broward County Sheriff's Office. 
Uh, they had the first animal abuse unit of any sheriff's department in the United States, which was started when Bob Butterworth was their um, sheriff. And they had her in to consult, and the place was shut down and 13 horses were seized. And it turns out that one of the animal agencies in, in Miami had provided them with some of the horses. And it, we found out later on that horses were ending up in worse places than they were rescued from uh, in Miami in the, at that time in 87. So then another case came up in 89 uh, where a similar thing happened. And there was a lot of corruption going on because it was, it was not out in the public like it is today. It was a rare thing that happened, and you never saw it in the media. And then I ran across another rescue I tried to work with in Davie, and they were, were hoarders. And I was really pushed by the head of Friends of Animals down there at the time that we need, there needed to be a reputable organization with people who knew how to take care of horses and kicking and screaming. We decided to go ahead and do it after trying to work with what existed. <laughs> and what existed didn't work, so we had to reinvent the wheel. So this is a small world. I recently met Sherry Schluter for the first time. Wow. Yes, she she was attending a Florida Bar Animal Law um, section meeting, and um, she had um, been with the Humane Society of the United States, so she and I had that connection. And um, for our listeners who don't know me, um, I was raised in a household where my father was the president and the CEO of the Humane Society of the United States. So animal welfare and animal protection has always been at the forefront for me. And so I saw her, you know, uh, affiliation with the HSUS and, of course, introduced myself and, um, and now we're friends. So that's interesting. Uh, come full circle with somebody that you know. Correct. Yeah, she was the she was the original animal cruelty officer in law enforcement in the United States. Kind of and kind of really developed it and and uh, set the standard for the country. Wow, that's incredible. So, moving fast forwarding then to um, where you are today, how many horses um, do you have at Horse Protection Association of Florida? We average around 60 horses. The farm is 149 acres, and we have the use of another 40 that belongs to the neighbors. So we have 189 acres for the use of uh, pastures and grazing and average about 60 horses, give or take a few. And a lot of the horses are here long-term either because they're elderly and retired or they're lame, and uh, sometimes those horses can are adopted as companions, but it's not that frequently, so they'll spend their lives here. And a lot of them are youngsters that need to grow up, and then they need training to be adoptable. So with uh, some that have been long-term and some coming and going and, and uh, being adopted or passing away, that it averages around 60 horses. Okay, so I know how hard it is to take care of three horses every day. I can't imagine taking care of 60. It must take all day. Well, we have three people who do nothing but horse care and two people who do the cleaning, two young men who do the cleaning. So the three people that do the horse care, um, the horses all get a diet based on soaked hay cubes is the foundation of the diet. So their, their diet is not based on grain but on, on hay, which is a horse's natural food. And we do soak the cubes at about 5, 5.30 in the morning and start feeding at 6. And all the horses are fed by... Um, by about 7.30, 7, 7.30, and every horse comes into an individual pen and goes in their own feed stall or pen to eat so that there's no competition for eating. So horses who have had to have had to fight for their food or had none will never have to fight for their food again and never have to worry about another horse coming up behind them and getting their food. And then every single horse, except for one who's a Mustang who's not tame and doesn't like people, every other horse on the property gets haltered and groomed and checked over for injuries and illness um, every day, and we do a little bit fast on major holidays like Christmas, but uh, we check them every day and turn them out, and that takes till about noon to go through all the horses and then set up the feed for the, for the evening meal. And then if the vet's coming, or that, that takes other time if the vet's coming. But the farriers tend to work along in that, in that uh, time frame. But if the vet's come, that's extra. And if we have people training the horses at which we don't hear right now. Right now we're sending some out. Um, they would do that separately also. 
Okay. So, so yeah, that's a, that's quite an operation. <laughs> We've got it down pat. We've been doing it for a lot of years. So there's a, there's a you have to hustle. Yes, and I've been to your farm, and I'm amazed at how beautiful everything is and neat and clean, and I know you have very exacting standards for for how all, all of that is done and how the horses are cared for. So I would personally say that anyone listening who is ever looking for a horse should start first at Horse Protection Association of Florida um, because there's a lot of wonderful horses there that need excellent homes. Very true. And you have one of them. I do have one of them. So um, that's how Morgan and I uh, came to know each other is that I discovered Horse Protection Association of Florida online when I was looking to adopt a horse. And lo and behold, she had the love of my life, uh, heaven. And I made an appointment and went out there and met a variety of horses, but um, clearly had an affinity for heaven and I've now had her over three years, if you can believe that, Morgan. Mm, I lose track of time. And you do I know. competition with her? I do competitive trail and limited distance endurance on her. So she is extremely fit. And I figure I ride her probably about, on average, 100 miles a month. So if you figure that I've had her over 36 months now, I have several thousands of miles on her. Oh my, where does where would you do you ride to get that kind of training in? So, um we're very lucky here in Central Florida. So, for folks that only think of Florida as Miami Beach or Disney World, um Central Florida actually has a lot of open space and within an hour of my home there are more than 22 parks or facilities where you can ride horses and you can get easily between 10 and 20 miles at any of these parks. And um, so that's, we're just out every weekend. We usually ride somewhere between 10 and 15 miles on Saturday and another 10 or 15 on Sunday. And then during this time of year, um, when the season starts, probably once a month, we're riding, um, you know, a 25 or 30 mile um, competitive or endurance type ride. And I've never been clear what's the difference between competitive and endurance. Okay, so um, for people who are listening and we're talking about um, competitive trail riding and endurance riding, the best way that I can um, describe the difference is that endurance riding is more like a shotgun start and then it's the first one over the finish line with a healthy horse is the winner and so on. In competitive trail, a um, little more complex. They don't do a um, shotgun start. They do a time start. So horses are started at like two-minute intervals. And then there's a time window that you actually have to finish in. So if you finish early, you get points deducted. If you finish late, you get points deducted. And then there's a variety of other points that are awarded based on the um, condition and the handling of the horse. Interesting. That one sounds more complex. It's a little more complex, and um, so you'll find that endurance riders sometimes don't like that complexity, and so then we ride for what we call mileage only. Um, so that we don't, so that we aren't graded on necessarily our riding skills, but you're always graded on the condition of your horse, and the condition of the horse is the number one um, qualifier. You always have to have a horse that's fit to continue, so you can't just run your horses into the ground. And um, I have fainted at a vet check where my horse was doing great, but I was overheated and dehydrated, so. Took good care of my horse, but forgot to take care of myself. So that's what you see sometimes. <laughs> but we have a grand time. Sounds like it's like a, not for not for the least hardy to take part in that competition. I would say that some people um, consider it to be an extreme sport, but um, we enjoy it, and the horses enjoy it, and we get to spend a lot of time outside. And um, our horses are very fit and well cared for, and they like to go. 
And if it was not for Horse Protection Association of Florida, I would not have my beautiful heaven. And um, she's just a tremendous, tremendous gal. And um, the training that she got at Horse Protection Association of Florida, her ground training and her undersaddle training just make her an all-around really easy horse, except now she's decided that she's a little bit of a racehorse and she wants to be the first horse. We've had some other horses, including Heaven, that found their niche in the endurance racing and competitive uh, because they're bred to go fast and go forward, so they don't tend to like the slow stuff. They kind of they do well in, in the competitive situations, but not the racetrack competitive situations, but the kind that you're doing on the trail. So that's where we've had some that did, did fit in well, including ones who were former racehorses that we don't get a lot of, but we get a few of them. Okay, so that's good to know. So um, I know from being out at the farm that you have all kinds of horses there. So I don't want to give people the impression that you just have thoroughbreds, but there's a lot of different kinds of horses there. So tell me a little bit about the horses that are at the farm now that are of various other breeds. Well, the majority are always thoroughbreds because we're in a thoroughbred county. There's more horses in Marion County than any one county in the United States of America. And it's also geographically a huge county, which is why there's more uh, cruelty situations in this area, because it's just like the big city. There's going to be more burglaries and more robberies and more murders in New York City than there's going to be in some small town. So consequently, the small segment who don't take care of their horses just happens to be a larger number in this community. So the majority of our horses are thoroughbreds. The next uh, largest breed group is Pasifinos, because this is also a very big Pasifino breeding area, and a lot of people get into the Pasifino breeding as speculation also, and they get into it and breed a lot of horses and acquire a lot of horses, and then some of them walk away from it, and we've had people who left the country and just walked away. It's happened quite a few times, actually, in this area, and leave a whole herd of mares and foals and stallions, and we don't get too many quarter horses and we don't get too many Appaloosas or paints. Uh, we'll get one now and again. And one of the reasons is the reason we get a horse is usually because the horse is not one that can be sold or given away easily. So if someone acquires a horse that's a thoroughbred broodmare who's in her, in her teens or a young horse who's not trained, those kind of horses are not, or one that's lame or one that's elderly, those kinds are pretty much impossible to find a home for, and then the people may not be able to afford to take care of it, but they can't find anybody to give it, give the horse to. So a horse that's well-trained and is sound and can be ridden and can be ridden by an amateur or backyard person is always either sellable or you can always find a home for a horse like that because they're greatly in demand. But what's happened with all the overbreeding that's happened in the past few decades in the United States, and especially in Florida, is that there's a lot of untrained horses. So we do get a lot of young untrained horses. We have a lot of young Passos. We have a lot of young large ponies. The Passos are all uh, large pony size from malnutrition when they, were, when they were youngsters or in utero. And so we get a few quarter horses and paints, but not many, um, because that's a more docile breed and it's an easier breed to train and it's an easier breed for the backyard person to deal with whereas the thoroughbreds and the passos that we get tend to be a lot more high-strung, and they require much more training and much more time put into them. And you can get a thor free thoroughbred off the track pretty much any day of the week, in, in most states, Florida being one of them. And those horses have um, $20,000 worth of training into them before they get to their first race. So when you get one off the track, it already has been out in the world and been exposed. So um, the ones that we get usually are not off-the-track horses, so we've got youngsters, which is and one of the reasons that we do natural horsemanship here is because, and you were mentioning how Heaven had good ground manners and was well-trained on the ground, and we use natural horsemanship as the way that we handle the horses here at the farm because it works. And what we do when we groom them every day and handle them and turn them out is we're doing five or ten minutes of training on each horse every day. And so it's not just get the horse out, throw a halter on it, brush it, throw it outside, it's doing it the certain way that teaches the horse manners and teaches the horse what you want it to know as a foundation for the under saddle training that it will have later on. And um, so 
a lot of these horses take a lot more. So even though they're thoroughbreds and pasos, they have great ground manners because we're doing that little cumulative training for them. So although we have, you know, mostly pasos and thoroughbreds, um, we can get them to be really neat, well-trained horses starting with that foundation work on the ground. And uh, so, but most of, most of the breeds tend to be thoroughbred and, um, and, and paso. And I'm trying to think how many quarter horses we have. A lot of ponies because of so many being malnourished that uh, they've ended up being stunted. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, people are always looking for a quarter horse, for a family horse. And those are not just not the breed, or a stock-type breed, I should say, that has a little bit more of a, a docile um, disposition and demeanor uh, breeding-wise, whereas the thoroughbreds and the passes, they're bred to be kind of hyped-up horses and to be specifically for their one thing, racing or, or being a show horse. So it really has to do with how you handle them and how you treat them, what you end up with, which is why we also teach and promote natural horsemanship, because it's a way to build a relationship with the horse that you choose and learn to speak their language instead of forcing them to speak our language, which they don't. Now, this is a topic that I want to explore a little more. So first, I want to tell our listeners that you're listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Pet Will Radio. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt, and today we are talking with Morgan Silver. She's the executive director and the founder of the Horse Protection Association of Florida. We're talking about the Horse Protection Association organization, and Morgan, you just um, touched on natural horsemanship. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what natural horsemanship is? And if a listener has a question, you can visit us at mixlr.com forward slash petwill um, to post any questions that you might have. And you can also click on the red follow button so that you can be the first to know when we are broadcasting live. So tell us a little bit about what natural horsemanship means. Natural horsemanship differs from traditional horsemanship, which is military etiquette-based. So all the English riding that's done comes from military etiquette. So if you've been around horses and you're supposed to mount on the left side and bridle from the left side and do everything from the left side, that all comes from military etiquette, from the way they did it in the cavalry going back hundreds and you know possibly thousand years. Because um, there's always been, as long as people have had horses, they've had the military fighting wars on horseback. So all of our background is based that way, and also it's based on us being in control as the human. So the difference of natural horsemanship is it's based on the horse's language rather than the human's language. So humans are predators, and horses are animals of prey. So, for instance, if you went up thinking about a wild deer, and you went up to that wild deer and slapped it to say hello, what would that wild deer do? It would take off and run away. So horses are flight animals, and they're animals of prey. So they see us as danger, and they see confinement as danger because the the lions and tigers and bears lived in the caves. You don't go in small, dark places or you could die, and you don't allow yourself to be captured or trapped because that's how the predators can get you and and you could could die and get attacked. And so the natural horsemanship is using their own gestural communication of using your body language. We don't use our voices. We can use our voices, of course, and talk to them in a friendly way, but they're not used for giving commands or telling a horse what to do or reprimanding a horse because when you use a voice as a predator, it's a horse will hear bark, 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 growl, growl, growl. They hear us making a loud noise as a predator, and that's very disconcerting to them. So, But horses will twitch an ear. They will turn their hindquarters to another horse. You'll have horses that are more alpha in the herd hierarchy. You say you have an alpha mare, which is generally a mare. Um, since we don't have stallions in our, in our modern herds, a mare will generally be the, the uh, alpha horse. And she will tell the other horses to go away by a slight turn of the head and a warning. And if they don't listen to that warning and continue not to listen to that warning, then that horse, the alpha horse will kick the other horse. And the next time that horse turns its head and pins an ear back and says, move away, they'll say, ah, she, she's going to follow through. I know it. So it's using your body language, which is what they're used to seeing. They can read a small gesture on your face. They can 
they read the positioning of your shoulders and the way you're facing. If you're standing facing them with your two little beady eyes like a predator stalking prey, then you look like a predator stalking them. And so we have to look at it from their viewpoint, whereas the old-fashioned way was to literally to break them. The old cowboy way was to put a saddle on a horse and, and break them, buck them out, and break them meant to break their spirit. So the whole idea was just to break them down until they could be dominated. And we don't want to, we know we know more than that now, and natural horsemanship has become very popular just since the, the 90s. And the difference, I wish I had it when I was young and training horses when I was um, coming up through learning because I could have, I know so many horses I could have helped with the body language communications. And there's different programs that teach um, natural horsemanship. We happen to use the Pirelli program, but there's a lot of good programs out there. And it's a, the programs are how to educate the people to speak horse. And it's about building a relationship with your horse rather than just going out and jumping on a horse and going for a ride as if it's a turn-the-key-and-go kind of, kind of vehicle. It's that you have a mutual trust and respect and understanding and communication with that horse and that makes for a better relationship rather than just somebody who goes out and gets on a horse and then and does it for their own pleasure. So it's really about the relationship. Well, and I I love that Horse Protection Association of Florida has adopted um, the natural horsemanship and, and that so many others have as well because horses are not for everybody and it takes a lot of learning to understand how to relate to horses and and not just think that you're going to go in there and bully them because we're never going to be stronger than a horse, so we better figure out a way to communicate with them in a way that they understand. Correct. So um, I know you have a lot of success stories on your website, and you also have a lot of before and after pictures. Are there any specific or memorable rescues that um, come to mind for you? One that always comes to mind first is Polo, and she's got her story on the homepage. She's the only horse that we've ever been able to save who was recumbent, meaning she was down on the ground and couldn't stand on her own. And most horses do not survive that state because as a prey animal, they, they worry so much about getting up that they struggle a lot and they wear themselves out, and usually that's their demise is because they just fight so hard about being on the ground. But when she came in and was down the next morning when I picked, after I picked her up, she never struggled, and she kind of lay quietly, and we put IV, IV uh, fluids. The vet came, and, and she had IV fluids all day, and uh, then we borrowed a sling from a local vet hospital the next day, and we had a tractor, and we lifted her, and... Um, very very involved. She did start struggling that second night uh, about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I had to sit on her head and hold her down until other people came because she had had enough of it. And only being down for just for that 24 hours, um, she did wear a lot of it, the skin off of her elbows and shoulders, Just and that's even having her on a bed of hay and rolling her over and flipping her over. But um, she's the only horse that we've been able to save that was recumbent, and uh, one, because she's so smart, and she survived and about a week later got up on her own for the first time and she gained 400 pounds in 10 weeks and she's so oh, wow now. and she she's a horse that almost every horse will put their ears back at another horse now and then just say go away get out of my space or you're not part of my little click here i've never seen her put an ear back at another horse or person or anything she's got the best attitude and this you know doesn't hold a grudge against people for what they did to her just has got she's just always happy and if you scratch her or give her a carrot, she's just as happy as a clam. And and uh, so she's a really unique individual. And I think she survived because of because of her heart and because of her her unique personality. And she's pretty smart and pretty wise horse. We think she's a thoroughbred, but she's not tattooed, so she didn't race. And uh, so she's still here, and she's been here since 2011. And her story's on the website, so you can see pictures how she went in her recovery. And then recently we had a horse um, come in in May named Music, who, who is an ex-racehorse. We don't know how old he is. We haven't been able to find out his real identity and his registered name yet because we can't read his tattoo. It's not clearly legible. But he came in extremely debilitated and had a little trouble getting up. Almost he had to struggle to get up that first week. But he was very weak and emaciated. Uh, body condition score one, which is the lowest on the scoring system of one to nine, 
and uh, that's complete emaciation. And uh, he rebounded quite quickly and gained in the high 300s in 90 days and uh, is out with the out with all the rest of the geldings now running around and having a good time and, and is just a magnificent horse. And if you go to the newsletter section on the HPAF website or if you just Google Horse Protection, our website or face, and Facebook page will come up. But you can go to the new newsletter. The newsletters in the latest issue, you can see pictures of music and uh, his uh, change in, in 90 days. Actually, I think it was in 60 days on the, on the newsletter. Uh, and like a very remarkable transformation with him. Well, and those are always incredible to see because you look at these horses when they're in the emaciated, starved state, and you think, oh, my God, that horse could never survive. And then you see their after pictures, and they just completely look like different animals. They are. That's true. Yeah, we don't we don't put the pictures of the ones who don't make it. There are horses that don't make it. Um, in the past two months, we've picked up four horses that had very little time left. Um, but that's one of the services we provide. If the owners are not either financially or otherwise able to have a horse humanely euthanized when it's necessary, sometimes it comes down to us uh, doing it and making sure that the animal doesn't suffer. And sometimes that's the service we provide. And, and uh, people don't want to necessarily hear about those, and we don't, we don't uh, go into great detail about those because it's not real happy. But, but we try to give them the, the, the best last days they can have and make them well-fed and well-cared for and loved and, and, uh, and try, try and give them as much, as much love as we can in whatever time they might be with us. Well, and I'm so happy for what you do, and I want our listeners to know that they're listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Pet Will Radio. You can visit us at mixlr.com forward slash pet will. You can post your questions or comments there, and you can click on our red follow button so that you know when we will be broadcasting next. We're talking today with Morgan Silver. She is the founder of the Horse Protection Association of Florida. So, Morgan, I would suspect that you're pretty picky when it comes to who can adopt your horses. We do have um, requirements, and those are listed on the website. We want to make sure that the horses have good grass pasture because a lot of times these horses have been in situations where, they, where they've been in small places with no forage and no grass. And um, we want to make sure that after they've been through something so horrible that they always have a good, appropriate horse place to live. And horses in, in nature move 18, and graze 18 to 20 hours a day. Um, actually, their feet are like a pumping mechanism. Um, horses standing still in stalls don't pump their blood back up to their heart correctly because of gravity, their feet being so far away from their heart. The foot is actually a pumping mechanism. And when they step down, the foot comp- uh, expands, and when they step, they pick their foot up, the hoof contracts, and it helps pump the uh, blood back up to the heart. And the frog, which is a part of the hoof, um, is part of that pumping as it hits the ground. So they're meant to move. They're not meant to stand still all day uh, in stalls. So having a, a horse-happy place where the horse has some place to be a horse with other horses while uh, the person is not there, when they're not um, going on rides or what they're doing with their own horses. So we're looking for a nice place where a horse is going to get enough room to move and area to graze and another horse at least to, to be with because they are herd animals. They're not solitary animals like a lot of predators are. And um, the other thing is that the horse has to fit into the right situation with the right person. So we, if you have a companion horse only, that would be a different scenario than if a horse is going to be a riding horse. If a horse is going to be a riding horse, then we need to match up the person's skill level with the training of that horse. And so that's another place that the natural horsemanship comes in is that we have a training program that the horse has all been introduced to to some extent or another. Some of the horses were ridden and started under saddle years ago, but we haven't been able to follow through and keep them under saddle for a long period of time because of the expense of it. So they have to be restarted. So it's matching up the person with the horse, and that's that's the most important part is that um, we don't have, we don't get in, well-trained, easy-to-ride horses because, again, those horses are easy to sell and find homes for. Um, So it's matching up, like with you in heaven, the person who is capable of understanding and training and uh, continuing on with that horse 
where that person will be safe and the horse horse will be in good hands. So it's really a matchmaking kind of thing. So it is. It's just like going on match.com when um, <laughs> you're trying to find the right horse. <laughs> so I, I want to also be able to share with people because maybe somebody's not um, in a position to own a horse, but they certainly could still help Horse Protection Association of Florida by becoming a sponsor or a donor or even a volunteer. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Certainly. Um, we have a lot of members that live in other areas and, and support us, uh, have supported us over the years. Who None of this program or any horse protection would run without our donors, and they're the lifeblood, and it's the people who want to see this service provided for horses that make it possible. And some people like to be sponsors, and they can either pick their own horse to sponsor or we can pick one for them, and they will decide at what level they want to sponsor that horse. It might be just to cover their farrier or uh, usually $35 a month would be the minimum, up to $750 a month, and that would be for a horse that's in full training. Um, and so people can pick their own level, and we'll let them know of the goings-on at the farm and send them pictures of their horse, and, of course, they can come visit their sponsored horse anytime they want, and they're welcome to, to come and volunteer and hang out with their horse if they'd like. And... Um, so there's that you can do, and we you can just also just come and visit too. Um, we we have tours that we give uh, by appointment, where people can come and and uh, and see the place and and get to know it. And if you're in an area that's logistically really far away too, we can hook you up with another um, reputable rescue in your area if you, if, if we're too far away for volunteering. Um, we're a GFAS verified organization, and that's the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. So if you do um, get involved with any rescues in other areas, um, look if they're GFAS, uh, Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, verified or accredited, because that's the uh, organization of oversight that makes sure that we're an above-board, legitimate, humane, well-run organization. And because sometimes we read about in the paper of, of organizations that are not uh, who they said they were, and are shut down. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of, of uh, standards that people uh, adhere to so that you don't get involved with uh, the wrong organization. So we can also hook you up with something for volunteering closer, or you can come here and volunteer and meet the horses, or you can just meet them. Uh, we can chat via email, and, and you, we can send, them, send you pictures of the horses here from the farm. So whatever way that you want to get involved. Well, it certainly are a lot of ways, and I know there's some absolutely painless ways that you can help Horse Protection Association of Florida, too, and that's either through the Amazon Smile program or the iGive program or other programs that allow you to nominate a charitable organization. So I know every time I purchase something on Amazon, um, it's not a lot, but Horse Protection Association of Florida gets a little bit of a rebate from that purchase. So you can do that too as a listener, um, as a way to help horses here in Central Florida and specifically to help Horse Protection Association of Florida. Um, you can find their website at hpaf.org and lots of good information on that website. And as Morgan mentioned, if you would like to visit the facility, um, you can do that by appointment. So, Morgan, um, what would you leave our listeners with as we wind up here today? Oh, my. I'm glad you mentioned the Amazon Smiles and good good shop and good search. Uh, I meant to. Um, that's a really big when it's coming up to the holiday season. To uh, If you're going to shop online, please uh, use those three sites. Anything on Amazon, it's wonderful. Um, that with I give just people get, signing up with Horse Protection as their uh, charity of choice. We've raised over $3,500 on I give over the years, so it can, it can really add up. So really think about that when you shop online. But um, we... The most important thing is that we would not exist at all uh, if not for our donors and uh, and our sponsors. And um, it's because of the people out there who care about the animals and care about the horses and are compassionate and generous that we exist at all and are able to do our work so it would not be possible without our, our wonderful supporters. 
Well, and as our listeners um, know, it is so important to make sure that there is a plan for your pets if something happens to you, whether you're involved in an accident, you become disabled, or you should pass away. Having a plan for our pets is always going to be number one to make sure that if something happens to us, that they're taken care of forever. So, Morgan, I'm sure that you are happy to know that I have a pet trust for Heaven and for my other two horses and for my eight dogs and for my three cats so that if something were to ever happen to me, that there would be plenty of money to take care of them and then ultimately to support those organizations that um, I adopted these animals from. And all of my animals are adopted or rescued in some way, shape, or form. So I know you would join me in uh, supporting planning for your pets. Absolutely. I, I refer, you, you've educated me a lot, and we see it in this business quite a bit where people pass away and their friends or relatives are struggling with what to do with their, their horses and their animals. And so I do see it on a regular basis how important the planning is. And it, and it's not just the planning. It's making sure that there's resources available um, to pay for the care. As Morgan's mentioned, um, you know, taking care of horses is not an inexpensive proposition by any stretch of the imagination. Um, sometimes people say, oh, my gosh, how much does it cost to feed your eight dogs? And I think, well, it doesn't cost nearly as much as it costs me to feed three horses. Um, right. So, yeah, horses are always going to be a huge expense for folks, and it's not just the feed. It's the veterinary care and the preventative care and all of the things that we need to do for our animals on a daily basis. So thank you again, Morgan. We sure appreciate you being on the show. And um, thank you to our listeners, and we hope that you'll join us each week on Mondays at 3 o'clock for all my children wear fur coats on Pet Will Radio. We'll see you next week. And until then, until there are none, adopt one and happy tails. Thank you for joining us on Pet Will Radio. Visit PetWillRadio.com for updates on shows, links to previous shows, inspirational stories, videos, and more. Until next time, take care.